This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Hi guys, uh, welcome to another episode of our podcast, The SOS Show. We took a little break in between, but now we are back and uh, I'm so happy to connect with all you guys again. Uh, I actually decided to continue our conversation on OCD, which is Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, where we had featured two earlier episodes slash stories in episode 39 and 40. And uh, uh, continuing our conversation on Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, uh, because it's one of the least understood forms of mental health issues, one of the most common questions that comes when we're talking about OCD is that how is it different from a compulsive habit? Like for example, a friend of mine has this habit of obsessively cleaning things. So does that qualify as an OCD? Uh, I on my personal level, when I actually started doing the episode, started thinking, do I have an OCD? Because I have this phobia of getting into flights, you know. Flying is like, you know, a big event uh, in my life when I have to take a flight. And it actually happened after facing a couple of really turbulent episodes uh, in the flight so does that qualify as in any form or form of an OCD because the thought just won't go when I start thinking about flying so a lot of other questions started uh, teeming into my mind and uh, that's where I decided that we should do more episodes on OCD so today we have with us uh, Carol Edwards. Uh, Carol is a former cognitive behavioral therapist turned writer specializing in obsessive compulsive disorder and related issues. Carol discovered uh, and recognized her own OCD which is primarily contamination and thought intrusive OCD and she went about treating herself uh, creating more awareness with her book Desire Intrusive Thoughts. Hi Carol, welcome to our podcast The SOS Show and uh, thank you for joining in. And I just discovered, Carol, actually, I was going through your, uh, you know, your bio and I found out that you were also a former CBT practitioner, that's cognitive behavioral therapy, which is wonderful. Uh, Would you like to tell us more about it? Yes, first, um, thank you for having me. And about the cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes. I decided to become a therapist because at the time my daughter was suffering from obsessive compulsive disorder from a mm-hmm. very young age mm-hmm. I didn't understand what was wrong I went to the doctors uh, quite often and still couldn't understand what was wrong mm-hmm. eventually we did get a diagnosis uh, it was a few few years later at that time I started to study cognitive behavioral therapy after that I decided to become a therapist and help families and individuals with the disorder and unrelated problems. Mm-hmm. And Carol, how long ago was that? How many years back? That was about 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. So why did and, you choose? No, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That please. was when my daughter, sorry, it was 20 years ago that my daughter started suffering with OCD because she was very young when she started with this. And I became a therapist about 12 years ago. Right. So are you comfortable talking a bit more about it in terms of what were you going through as a parent? Uh, what kind of OCD was she suffering? Yes, yes, that's fine. She started off with having what I realized now was contamination fears. Mm-hmm. Everything that she touched, uh, she would act like her fingers were dirty. She wanted to clean her hands all of the time. She panicked when people touched her things. 
for instance, her sister, me, she started to feel like she couldn't touch people. And it gradually grew worse and worse to where there were certain parts of the carpet she wouldn't stand on. She was having regular baths. Uh, she had clean areas, dirty areas. We were allowed to stand in the clean areas. Mm-hmm. That was your first understanding of OCD? Yes, even though I had OCD myself um, from a young age, I, I still didn't understand mm. you know, that, that I had it even then. It was years later that I realized that I had mm. OCD. Right. So, of course, you came to know later about your OCD, but before it was your, you were already going through an OCD, which you were not aware of. And yeah. you came to know about it uh, through your daughter when she was going through contamination OCD. Just pushing this point a bit more, Carol, how is she now? She's better than she was because she's been taking medication since she was in her teenage years. Mm-hmm. So I would say that she started with OCD when she was four years old. It wasn't recognized until she was around 12 years old. And then she had medication when she was 15. And she's much better on medication. She's been taking medication now for five years, six years. And she's much better now with medication. And she did um, cognitive behavioral therapy as well. I did it with her as well. And so that's that's improved. So I would say that she has mild symptoms now, whereas before it was very severe. Mm-hmm. Sure. And um, Carol, since you have been a practitioner yourself and you also found out uh, about your own OCD later, uh, what would you say in terms of how does one get an OCD? Is it external environment? Is it genetic? I believe that um, there are three components, genetics, biology and environment. I, I think that an environmental factor can trigger the onset of OCD, but not necessarily. You would have to be predisposed first to the disorder for that to happen. That, that That's my belief. Mm-hmm. And at what point did you discover about your own OCD? And was it same OCD or was it a different OCD? Well, I've had variations of OCD. When I was really little, if I look back, I can see that I had responsibility OCD. I was always checking to make every, every, to make sure everything was safe, make sure that the people around me were safe. But obviously, you know, I didn't know then that I had OCD. When I was a little bit older, I had a fear of contracting HIV and passing it to my family. Mm-hmm. At that time, my anxiety was severe and I would have panic attacks. And the rituals I did to keep myself safe with it, I stopped going to the hairdressers in case there was blood on the scissors. I stopped eating in restaurants in case there were there was blood in my food. I avoided being too close to people in public. Mm-hmm. I went to the doctor for blood tests many times. I ruminated a lot and I cleaned the house all of the time with disinfectant. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yes, it, it got worse. And mm-hmm. um, how I realised that I had OCDs, it, it, it did, it got worse. I started to have panic attacks. It, um, you know, sometime later I discovered I, I had OCD because um, I went to a bookstop, a bookshop, mm-hmm. favorite bookstore, and and as I looked through the titles, I found a book on OCD. the 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 book described my symptoms because there were other symptoms as well, but specific to HIV, it described my symptoms. Uh, it was a relief to know I had a disorder, uh, you know, contamination, OCD that could be treated. And so that same week I went to the doctor 
uh, who, who prescribed me with medication. And that helped reduce my symptoms by at least half over a period of six weeks. And after that, I saw a private therapist whom I did CBT therapy with and exposure response prevention. And this lasted for about 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And how many years ago was that? That was about 14 years ago. And are you still continuing with the medication? I've come off medication. CBT side of therapy helped me see how thoughts, feelings and behaviors interact. So I learned how to change and helpful think helpful thinking and behaviors um for better outcomes in different situations. I learned about probability. This was really helpful. For example, mm-hmm. instead of thinking the likelihood of catching HIV by brushing past someone in public was high, I realized it's close to zero. Uh, by thinking rationally, I felt better about the situation emotionally. So and and DRP, exposure response prevention helped me break down my obsessions that included triggers and compulsive responses. For instance, walking in a crowded place was a trigger in the, in the situation involving crowds because it it increased my fears of catching HIV by pushing pushing past someone. And you know the the compulsive response there would would be for me to escape the situation. But ERP showed me how to face that situation on purpose which is the exposure in the RP and to let the thoughts and anxiety be there while resisting the compulsion to escape and then eventually I built a tolerance to the distress and I became less sensitized to it and I followed the same process for all all of my triggers the easiest ones first and the hardest ones after that and after 12 weeks of therapy um I was at least 80% improved and that's with the medication as well um, and I made I maintain my gains even now um with the tools um i learned in therapy and and also you know from from studying it because even in remission you know 8 90% improved i would say um i still get intrusive thoughts but the mild and i and i keep them at bay with my with the tools that i learned in therapy mm-hmm. carol tell me i know of people who have obsession about things and because you have been both a therapist and you have also you yourself are going through an ocd tell me what's the difference between having an obsession about something like for example an obsession towards cleaning versus having an ocd is there a difference um well the clue would be in in the ocd cycle if someone has ocd mm. then they will have thoughts to to clean for example mm. and, and if it they didn't clean then their anxiety would increase but if they do clean which is a compulsion then their anxiety will de- decrease and mm-hmm. and then they feel better and but then it happens all over again the obsession i need to clean anxiety um if i don't clean this anxiety will go down so the compulsion is i clean the anxiety goes down and and it keeps it continues like that um for someone who just likes to clean um and then mm-hmm. the seems like they're an obsessive cleaner then they may just feel better about cleaning um, but wouldn't have the anxiety like someone who has an obsession in obsessive compulsive disorder would and um, they might be able to let it go and clean a bit later whereas this is an urgency for someone who has OCD so the obsession is accompanied by anxiety and that's when you identify it as an OCD yeah and the urge to do the compulsion to reduce the anxiety 
ward off any perceived danger, for example, um, mm-hmm. getting jams or, or just to feel right. Mm-hmm. So tell me, uh, Carol, now if we talk about the thought intrusive OCD, for example, wanting to harm yourself. So I know a couple of people around who constantly talk about it. They say, you know, we want to sort of get rid of things, get over with things versus actually being able to do that. Do you think a person with OCD will actually dare to do it or it's just in the level of thought? Mostly people wouldn't harm themselves. Yes. Just automatically are prevented from doing that. Um, mm. But a person who might um, harm themselves wouldn't be because they have uh, self-harm as in non-suicidal self-injury. Right. And that's different. Um, they might harm themselves, for example, if they have a symmetry obsession. And so they may have a, a urge to um, make even some scratches on their arms um, or some, you know, if they have self, if they have self-harm anyway, you know, they might want to even those, those cuts or people who slap um, themselves, you know, might have an urge to slap themselves evenly on one side of the face and then the other, other side of the face. But that's different to non-suicidal self-injury where people, um, harm themselves as a consequence of anxiety. It's a difference. People who harm themselves in non-suicidal self-injury, they do it because, as a consequence of anxiety because of life stresses and it regulates their emotions. But that's different for people who have mm. intrusive thoughts about harming. Mm-hmm. As I've mm-hmm. said, if they do it to even out um, cuts on their arm, and that would be because they've got an urge to make things uh, level, even. Um, but mostly people wouldn't self-harm. Right. Mostly they will not self-harm. So the suicides have nothing to do with the OCDs. There's no connection. Okay. No, no. Self-harm itself, there's no connection. It's, yes. It's different. It, it, it's different. It, it, mm. Again, it goes with the anxiety. There's, there's two, two ways of looking at anxiety. The consequence of anxiety, that's with real self-harm. And, and to regulate emotions. People who have self-harm obsessions, they don't hurt themselves if they did um, to regulate emotions. They do it to reduce anxiety, um, to feel right, for example, um, or to, and to reduce anxiety. And to feel right, usually it's, it's kind of like with a, a symmetry obsession type of thing. Sure. So, Carol, at what point did you desire, uh, decide to write your book, Desire Intrusive Thoughts? Well, I decided to write this book um, about two years ago mm-hmm. because people were asking me questions about a desire component um, that comes that interferes with the obsession, and so you have an aversion. The obsession has this, and you have an aversion. It's, it's typical to OCD um, to not want your thoughts. But some people say, "Why do I like my thoughts? Why do I want? Why do I feel like I want to to do?" the thing I don't want to do. And usually this involves sexual, religious and harm obsessions and, and suicide in intrusive thoughts too, which is something I experienced myself. And so I, I decided to write a book on what it, what it means really to have these thoughts and why they're there. And I looked at the biological component mm. and, and how it affects a person psychologically. Sure. So, so to tell me, Carol, how does and why do these thoughts come? For example, you went through your own de- intrusive thoughts, OCD. What kind of intrusive thoughts that you were going through uh, at one point? 
Well, it was a few years later um, af- after the contamination fears left me. Right. I've, I've had um, religious, uh, sexual and harm intrusive thoughts and the worst for me was suicide intrusive thoughts. An example of my thoughts were that I had to plan my suicide to please God, otherwise something terrible would happen in my in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, there was a religious intrusive theme going on at mm-hmm. the same time and also magical thinking. For example, if I don't do what my thoughts say, something bad will happen. Um, the urge really for me was to write suicide notes and I would write these and keep them in a box. I didn't realise I was doing a compulsion at that time. Mm. But it dawned on me one day that mm. each time I wrote a suicide note, my anxiety reduced. Okay. And so there was the clue. And, you know, that's when I realised it wasn't suicide ideation. I didn't want to die. You know, in fact, that scared me. And and again, the, the clues in the OCD cycle. Um, I had the obsession about suicide, fearing, fearing rejection um, from God if I, if I didn't do what I thought he wanted me to do. I had anxiety about the obsession. Mm. I got relief from anxiety when I'd given into the compulsion, um, which was writing the suicide notes. And and after a while, it went straight back to the obsession. So there's your cycle. And once I realised I had suicide intrusive thoughts, I remembered the tools I learned in therapy um, years before and started to resist the compulsion to write the suicide notes or the goodbye notes, um, along with the other compulsions, uh, like seeking reassurance online. And, and after a few weeks, the, the obsession started, started to weaken. And um, while my thoughts were related to OCD, um, it's important that people who have suicide thoughts talk with their therapist or doctor for, for their advice or to rule out suicide ideation. That's really important because it can be very confusing when so, someone has um, suicide intrusive thoughts uh, versus suicide ideation. But again, I would say that the clue is in the OCD cycle. Right, the OCD cycle, right. So, Carol, did you try and find out that why were you going through these thoughts? Was it like, again, genetic? Was it related to the external environment? I do think that there's genetics and that. Um, mm. But mostly, I, you know, I think it's biological. There's, I believe that there's some, that the parts of the brain, the basal ganglia, um, are affected. And, and the way to correct that side of the brain is to do exposure response prevention mm-hmm. um, I do I do think um, medication is helpful um, I believe in antidepressant medication for OCD because it contains serotonin the active factor in stabilizing OCD it can reduce symptoms by up to 60 percent which is good for me and and but, so I, I see medication as an adjunct to ERP therapy because it clears a person's thinking towards engaging with ERP especially if they're depressed Mm-hmm. And you know, this medication, the SSRI medications work with medication anyway. Um, so yeah, the ERP actively alters brain chemistry, and the, the medication passively alters brain chemistry. That means when people are exposed to their fears, um, their emotional reactions diminish because the intelligent part of the brain feeds back feeds back correct information about the intrusive thoughts. And so, yeah, that's what that's what I think. I think a lot of it's bio, biological. Right. That, that's, my, that's my belief. That, right. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I know what you're talking now. Um, it could be biological as well. But tell me, Carol, if going slightly outside the field of um, the medication, um, do you think or have you ever thought about in terms of something that could already be there in your uh, subconscious mind from if we talk about earlier life? Did you did you try and sort of do some meditation as well to support yourself? I'm not really a real big fan of it. meditation i do like mindfulness and right i like mindfulness techniques it can help with ruminating about intrusive thoughts right um and as well you know about past events that might morph in uh, to those thoughts so mm-hmm. that's that's where that would come into um from the mm-hmm. question that you asked me right um, so like um the shifting state method uh, this is to do with rumin- uh, mindfulness because this the shifting state method helps people recognize when they're ruminating it works mm-hmm. well for pe- people who ruminate because would you just define mindfulness just for our listeners well for me um it keeps you in the moment it, it, it helps you acknowledge the thoughts without analyzing them as something different from ocd it's like you're you're controlling your brain and telling the brain to be here in this present moment and not going anywhere else yeah yes and mm-hmm. um, same time you do what i call the three a's And right. when you have intrusive thoughts going on, instead of ruminating about them, right. you your mind and body to something else or you stay in the moment and allow those thoughts to be there. So what you, those three A's are, acknowledge those thoughts are there uh, as OCD and, and nothing else. So you don't analyze, is this something else? It isn't, it's intrusive. Um, and then you accept those thoughts are there and then allow those thoughts to come and go without passing judgments. without doing any compulsions and leaning into the anxiety until it reduces by itself and to begin with it's hard it was hard for me uh, at first because my mind used to tick over all of the time i wanted to analyze everything but now as soon as i identify myself ruminating i quickly step into those three years acknowledge the thoughts are there accept that there allow them to come and go without passing judgment lean into the anxiety until it reduces naturally and eventually that will come naturally and it it helps weaken the obsession so right no, it must be given into right quickly acknowledge accept allow and that's what the shifting state method does it it moves you away from the ruminating because right. ruminating is a thinking compulsion yes and that's why this works because that's why the person doesn't want to fall into this ruminating compulsion because it there, there's never any answers in the mind it, it will just go around in a circle and so that's why the three years with the shifting state method which is mindfulness works right carol tell me at what point did your family come to know about the ocd did you discuss it with them how can a person going through no ocd discuss such, such a sensitive issue with their close ones well for me it, it mm. involved my children um because one time i the responsibility that was that's always been there really for me um was when i was frightened of something happening to my children and and it involved the whole family mm-hmm. and people who used to say to me in the family um oh just let your children you know go into town and have a nice time and leave them alone let them do what they want but i was so terrified of something happening to them this is when they were about 12 mm-hmm. and you know old enough really to go right. to town by themselves and do a little bit of shopping and all hang out with friends 
But I used to follow them because I was so terrified of them crossing the roads and getting run over. I was terrified that strangers would pick them up and take them away. Just dis- even just disappearing once they were at my site, feel like they would disappear. Lived lived on a beach and I think they'd go down to the uh, beach and get drowned. All sorts of s- scenarios went through my mind. And I didn't know that, but it, that was OCD at the time, was responsibility OCD. Mm-hmm. And, and once I did, I took steps to do something about it because my kids were saying, um, we can't cope with this. You know, we just want to feel free. And they'd find me chasing after them. I'd see me around corners. And once a woman went up to them and said, there's a lady following you. Now that to me felt dreadful. I felt dreadful. And it's like, what am I doing? And so then I kind of looked into this and realized it was OCD and I had to mm-hmm. do something about it. And so in small steps, I said to my kids, I've realized what this is. And I'm going to do something about it. And so in small steps, they were really good with me and they helped me. And so we'd walk into town together. They walked ahead of me and I stayed behind. I'd go off for an hour and do my own thing. Mm. And they'd go off for an hour and do their own thing. And mm. I had to resist going and looking for them, checking that they hadn't been run over, checking that they um, wasn't on the beach and drowning, checking that someone hadn't snatched them. And it was horrible. But in time, you know, I weakened the obsession by continuing to resist the compulsion to go and check. Right. And, and not, you know, not phoning them either and, and that kind of thing. And so the hour stretched two hours, three hours, four hours, until eventually they could leave the house on their own. So that's what I would say to people, you know, always resist the compulsion, resist the check-in. Right. As hard as it is, because that is what will weaken the obsession. Right. Whatever the variation of OCD, you know, resist the compulsion. Right. So, Carol, you mentioned you resisted the compulsion to check, so to break the chain of OCD. So, tell me, resisting the compulsion to check, where did that sort of, you know, you need a certain amount of, uh, you know, power to do that within yourself. You need to bring that power out, uh, either by controlling your brain or you know you're directing that willpower in that direction how did you do that how did you resist the compulsion because i realized that it, it, was, it was an emotional reaction mm. everything that, that i did the check-in and etc it was all emotional i i was right yeah the reasoning everything about it was emotional and so i had to get back into rational thinking and discipline discipline myself I was really strict with myself because at that time, you know, with my kids, you know, specifically, yes. they had to have freedom and that was more important than satisfying my need to know uh, and to feel safe for, for me. Um, and so it paid off. The, the persistence paid off. So, so, so basically you exercised your discipline muscle to channelize your energy not to do that. That's right, yeah. How did you strengthen that discipline muscle? Where did that, where did you draw the power from within yourself? Where was it mind? Was it heart? How did you practice doing that? Mostly it was mind. I mean, obviously right. there's some heart there, mm. but most of, mostly it was in my head. I, I, I knew that there was a rational side to my mind. I knew there was an emotional side to this emotional reasoning. Uh, and I, I knew that to correct the parts of the brain, because I'm, I love the biological side of OCD because I like the way that you can rewire your brain and correct the information right. mm-hmm. that's being fed to and from 
the thinking part of your brain, which is the intelligent part of your brain. And that's what that's that's what I used. I used the stop method. Uh, you know, stop, observe what's happening, and practice what works, put into put into perspective and practice what works and maintain that and, and that's what I did. I I kept I tried my best to always stay rational once I knew what was wrong with me. Before that, everything was just emotional reasoning. Everything was an emotional reaction. Right. And, it, right. you know, it, just, it doesn't stop you from feeling anxious. You still feel anxious. Mm. But it's really... But you're conscious of, about it. You're conscious about your anxiety. You're able to control it better. Yeah, you are. And now, um, if I get intrusive thoughts, I can... I don't really feel the anxiety as yes. intense as I used to. Yes. It's very mad now. Um, but I can say to myself, as I said earlier, shift state, uh, use your stop method, do the mindful distraction, uh, know what it is, do your three A's. All the things that I teach other people, I put into practice myself. So, yeah, right. I think yeah. it's within yourself, I think. You really have to yes. discipline yourself. Yes, yes. So, so basically, you exercise your discipline muscle and you rewire your brain to uh you know break the chain of ocd that was one thing yeah. that you do you did from within your own self besides other yeah. things yes that's that's definitely it yeah sure and and tell me carol how after so many years how how's your family like you know how's your how are your relationships after so many years with your near and dear ones has anything got affected uh, do you also see any kind of stress that comes from external uh, stimuli that can lead to uh, OCD, something uh, which is like a strong trigger, uh, maybe a, a strain in a relationship, maybe something that you're going in your going through in your job? I think stress can, you know, maybe the onset of OCD or um, bring on the return of symptoms if people have already found remission time on people's hands if they've got too much time to think about things that that kind of yeah. thing environmentally yes I, I think some things can trigger the onset I look at my childhood and I think if I wanted to look at why my um OCD started you know especially with the responsibility my childhood um, was quite traumatic mm. and I feared a lot for my mother because we was in a violent relationship with my alcoholic father so that could have brought on the symptoms of responsibility uh, OCD because I wanted to keep my mother safe at that time and so it became obsessional I can see the OCD cycle there now mm-hmm. I could then but I can see it now so yes, yes. I, don't, I don't think in some situations an environmental factor can trigger the onset but um, yeah I, I think biologically I'm just really interested in that side of things because I know that you can correct the, the the false information that's coming in, as we've just discussed, with their exposure response prevention. Yes. And tell me, how did it affect your professional life? Were you working at that time? How did that work around? From childhood uh, um, until in my 30s, my life was tricky because because of the, the childhood that I had. And, and then I, I had to leave home when I was 15, so I couldn't carry on going to school. Yes. Although I had ideas in my head, you know, that I would like a career. I'd, the, the opportunities weren't there. Mm-hmm. So life was up and down, really, until I got into my 30s. And then 
I decided, well, I want to do something something with my life. And that's when I decided, you know, to look into cognitive behavioural therapy. Um, and then I became a therapist. And then my circumstances changed again. So I decided to do what I like doing best, which is writing. Because when I was at school, I, I wanted to be I wanted to be either a teacher or a writer. So it's come back. It's come back to me years later. Mm. So, yes. You know, I'm yes. happy to be a writer now and write about what I know, which is OCD. Right. I think that's wonderful. Tell me, Carol, a couple of things that, you know, a person can do when they're not sure whether they have an OCD or not. What are your recommendations? Well, there are a few things. Mm. Um, I mean, I would advise using the the Y box checklist, mm-hmm. which you can download, um, and, it, and it's a professional checklist. Mm-hmm. And, and if, they, if they did that and filled it all in, they can take it to the doctor and ask them to ask them for their advice and whether they need to go for an assessment, you know, right. for a form, formal diagnosis. Because uh, some people go to a doctor and they might be given medication to reduce intrusive thoughts because some doctors say, well, you know, you can get intrusive thoughts, but it's not always specific to OCD. Right. Um, but they might not be looking for the subtle um compulsions you know like the mental compulsions of it and if a person doesn't know that they're doing these mental compulsions they might just say that they've got intrusive thoughts or you know thoughts that are coming in um and again um for them to identify the ocd cycle mm. if they can identify that they get these thoughts coming into the head and the fright of those thoughts and it gives them anxiety and then they're doing these compulsions and then their anxiety reduces when they do those compulsions, then there's a clue really that they have OCD. And so they can take that to the doctors and explain. And to always remember, like I've just said, that some of those compulsions might be mental, such as ruminating, analyzing, seeking reassurance within oneself or from others, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right. And where do they find the Y box checklist? They, well, they could Google it. Okay. Google Y, y box. Um, right. Um, OCD checklist. Right. Wonderful. So Google Y box checklist if you're not sure about the OCD and then figure it out if you want to take further treatment. Thank you so much, Carol, for your time. Thank you for joining in. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So that's it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And uh, if there's a question, if there's something that you want to add, you know where to find us. Find us on our website, aplogmedia slash the SOS show. You, of course, can find me on LinkedIn. And you can also find us on our social media handles, aplogmedia and Metaphysical Lab. I'm your host, Suchita, and I am waiting to hear more from you. Uh, do connect and do let us know what you have been thinking about all these episodes so far. And if you have a suggestion, definitely, definitely write to us. Yes.